Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast, where we share stories to inspire your journey of creating a successful solo or group practice. Today, we have a really special episode, the amazing Lindsay um, from Money Nuts and Bolts um, is here sharing her journey of starting her unique business and practice and what that looks like and all the little twists and turns that we have time for to share today. <laughs> um, it's going to be really fun. So if you love a peek behind the scenes, especially for people that are doing things beyond the couch and out of the box, mm. this is the one to listen to. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for being here with us. Hi, Miranda. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I, it's, I remember like I, we got to be on your podcast. Yes. Um, several months ago and it was just such a juicy conversation and I just enjoyed it so it was lovely to like be like oh this is a human that I really enjoy yes. like, we get to just dive in and I feel like we both had that experience because we didn't know each other before and I was like yeah. oh I, I really like you too this is so fun good so um share this um in terms of what well, share a little bit about what life and business looks like today mm -hmm. and then we backtrack as to how it got there. Sure. Yeah. So my, my business is money, nuts and bolts. The course that I run, that's kind of the bread and butter. The main um, offer of my business is money skills for therapists. So this is now what I do full time. I am retired from therapy. Um, I retired last summer. So a year and a half ago. Um, and now I, consider myself a CEO who runs a little a micro company. It's a cute company, but we're a real company um, where our whole focus is on helping therapists with their business finances and building a better relationship with money. And I just get to focus on that all the time with a team who supports me in doing that. Wow. I love it. Okay. So we're going to backtrack way back to the beginning because I think mm -hmm. it confirms how we end up there. How and when did you know you wanted to be a therapist? In like a minute oh. or less. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to be a therapist when I started doing basically like community education, like community development. And mm -hmm. I, I was an administrator, but I ended up running a hotline in this very weird small organization combo where they're like, you're an administrator, but also you run our crisis hotline. And I was like, okay. Um, and doing nonprofit work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you do everything. Um, and doing that work, I, I worked at a pro-choice organization. So I was supporting women with like unintended pregnancies and all sorts of different circumstances, helping them like think through all of their choices. And I was like, oh, I really like this. Like I always knew I wanted to affect change. And I thought, I originally thought I was going to be a teacher. Then I went into community education because I didn't want to be part of the, the school board system. But when I got into one-on-one, -on -one, I was like, oh, this is where mm -hmm. my gift is. Like in this very intimate space, this is so powerful. Um, and then I remember I, I called one of my university professors and was like, how do I become a therapist without having to be a psychologist? That was like <laughs> my plan. How do I do what you do, but without the 14 years of school? Uh, like, like, let me be real specific here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I was not ready to start over. I never even took psychology in university. It was like not even really on my radar. I was like, oh, everybody takes psychology, whatever. I'm going to do my own little thing. Um, and 
and then I was like, oh, I probably should have taken psychology. <laughs> Details. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, awesome. So you went back, went through this process. At what point did you know from the beginning you want to do private practice or was there a turning point when you realized I want to be a business owner in particular? You know, it's funny. I didn't remember this, but one of my, I'm an MSW. So one of my, my MSW friends reflected this back to me and they said, no, from the very beginning, I remember she was like, they said the very first class that we did together when they were talking about where you want to go, you said you want to start a private practice. You were the only one in the room who said that. I'm like, oh, I said that, eh? So I think I just knew that I wanted to create my own space and and step out of systems. I was very clear that I don't do well in systems that kind of eat you alive. And I knew that going to my MSW, um, that this is the path that I wanted to take as quickly as possible. I wanted to get into private practice. Because I also wanted to be a therapist. I didn't want to be part like a worker in a system. I wanted to be a therapist specifically. You're like, I just want to do this part where I get to yes. like people one-on-one. Like, yes, exactly. Just... Yes, yes. And you had worked in nonprofits. So you saw the like, the the bigger picture of what that looks like, or even oh, that space of like, oh, hey, I'm the crisis line worker and I'm doing yes. the bookkeeping. Like, exactly. That's, that's literally my job. Yes. <laughs> Which actually, in a funny way, is like still exactly what I do now. Uh, I still am like teaching people bookkeeping and doing like the emotional support and, you know, like doing that transformative work. Um, But yeah, it really shouldn't be a job, generally speaking, bookkeeping and crisis line manager. Um, So yeah, I did see those systems. And I was like, those systems through kind of in some ways through no fault of their own um, are not good places to be. Um, And I didn't want to sacrifice my well-being to try to survive one of those systems. Yeah. And then from the moment that you kind of graduated with your, with your degree mm-hmm. until um, how long did it take for you to actually like finish the licensure process and be able to practice independently? Cause you're in Canada. Yeah, I am. So here's something that is uh, good and bad. Uh, yeah. There's no licensure process for MSWs. Oh, yes. In Canada. So MSWs in Canada, like we're not allowed to give diagnoses. It's it's like much more you are expected to work in a system. You're expected generally to be in like child welfare or, you know, I, I started in like sexual violence, domestic violence. So um, many people, yeah, many people don't become therapists. They become kind of like workers in systems doing certain roles. So yeah, as soon as I actually started practicing as a counselor before I graduated from my MSW. I got, I got hired by my placement to just work there. Yeah. And again, you were really bucking the system in so many different ways of like, oh, I really want to go and do this. I want to work outside of the system. Well, we don't do that. Like legally I can do this, like all these different pieces. Yeah. I think I really had a much broader um, sense of at that point, probably like my own agency or like, no, no, I'm going to make my own thing than a lot of folks that I was going through school with at that time. Some of them have now gone into private practice, but most mm-hmm. of them stayed in systems a lot longer than I did. Like they kind of probably more like burned out of systems rather than being like, I'm here for the minimum amount of time possible until I can like get established and do my own thing. Awesome. And then by the time that you graduated till you started your own practice, how long was that? Oh, that was, I'm going to say like a year and change. Mm-hmm. So I think I stayed at my first role for two years. Um, they mm-hmm. hired me in January and I graduated like that spring and I was out of there by like two Septembers later. So like maybe not even two years. Um, yeah. I 
I left and I did kind of burn out of that space. Like I was there because I was like, I do have things to learn. Obviously, <laughs> I'm like a brand new therapist. And, you know, as I mentioned, like there's no licensure process for MSWs. You're not trained to be a therapist as an MSW in Canada. Um, so you need to find your own trainings. Like I was absorbing like EMDR training and trauma trainings and, and doing all these things to basically make myself a therapist because that wasn't actually my education. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. mine was interesting that I was a licensed marriage and family therapist, or I went to a merit like that was the license I was getting, mm -hmm. but all my training was not actually in couples therapy right. or family therapy. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, oh, I'm an MFT who does individual counselor. Yes, yeah. Counselor. You're like, no, no, I actually don't work with marriage or families. Uh, I mean, like, I could, but like, not really. Like, I didn't yeah. really have any expertise whatsoever, and yeah. it was such a funny little dichotomy. And when they they finally brought LPCs to California, and when as soon as mm -hmm. I heard about the LPC, the licensed professional counselor degree, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's what I actually am. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. That's really what I am. Like, yes, I've taken some training in, in couples. I can do it. But like I'm the when you learn about what MFTs do in other mm -hmm. states in the in the US at least, like they that's all they do. Like yeah. that's just a jam. They don't see anybody individually. I was like, oh, I'm not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think it's it's getting the piece of paper that you can get to do the work you want to do. And I, and I highlight for anybody who's listening here, and I know we've got people in, in different scenarios, but sometimes people who are trying to decide if they want to become a therapist will come in and listen to this podcast. I highly recommend that the training that you go to for your master's degree be the one that is, and this is going to sound really jaded, the easiest, yeah. cheapest, and fastest way that you can do it. Mm -hmm. And then take the extra money you were going to pay yes. for oh those postgraduate trainings, for those postgraduate certifications. Yeah. There is no amazing two-year, $100,000 um, master's degree mm -hmm. or even a $150,000 PhD degree that's going to give you as much hands-on what you need in the clinical room as these postgraduate trainings. Like this is just this basic training. Don't make it into more than it is. Yes. Like don't yes. just move 100%. on. It's so true. And if I think about just the quality too of the trainings that I accessed and like the people that I found and the supervision I got, like it was such high quality. It, it was just so much more than they ever could have offered me in my MSW because also your MSW or whatever, they don't know your niche. Like they don't know the, the perfect mix of skills and interests that you're going to have. that's going to make you like establish your zone of genius. And so they, they can't give you that, right? You have to, you have to make that for yourself. Yeah. So yeah, very true. Save yourself the the tens of thousands and yeah. pay for those trainings later. And move on. And again, yeah. if anyone's like already like trying to figure out your private practice and thinking maybe I need to get a PhD before I do it, you probably don't. You don't. Like nine times out of a hundred, yeah. you really don't need to. It's not a good idea. Like we'll just save you like a hundred thousand dollars right there. Oh boom, my boom. Gosh. And this so podcast, much, so much anguish <laughs> <laughs> and mental health. Okay, so then. What you said you burned out of the agency. Did you mm -hmm. start the private practice before you ended over here or were you just burned out and you're like, I just got to go and I, I gotta just got to go all in for the practice? So I really distinctly remember deciding to jump off a cliff. Like that's really what it felt like. Like it was like I was burned out of the space I was in. Mostly it was the toxicity of my workplace. I actually loved the work that I did. And having yes. been trained in EMDR, like I had a supervisor who was supportive of me doing EMDR there, even though it's not really what they did. So I was getting to like hone my EMDR skills. And I was like, this is incredible. I love working with these women. 
Um, but the environment was really toxic and I am like a highly sensitive person, light. I like to call myself. I have many of the traits and I don't do well in stressful, toxic environments like they wear on me. And so I remember there was like this decision point where I was going to go see my brother in British Columbia, which is across the country. And I thought, I don't want to come back here after I see him. I want to be done. Like, I want that to be my transition period between two careers or two you know, workplaces. And so I gave my notice so that I would be finishing, you know, just before I went on that trip with him. And I remember I really wasn't planning to start a private practice yet, but I told them I was because I needed to have a reason to leave. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yes, I'm just starting my private practice. Yes. I, th I was more honest with the HR woman in my exit interview, but I was just kind of like, I have to say I'm doing something. I can't just say I'm going to like float around the universe for a little bit. So I kind of just made myself do it a little earlier than I thought, but I just, I needed out, right? It was my escape hatch. Um, yeah. And it's the thing I always knew I needed to do. And I just needed to do it a little sooner than I thought I would. Yeah. And then from the point that you started, um, about how long did it take you to get full or as full as you wanted to be? Yeah. I think it took me about six months to get mm -hmm. full. Um, it took me, I remember at first I just stumbled over even describing what I did. Like I was a trauma therapist who did EMDR, nobody knew what trauma therapy was. And like, it's, I think we forget how much the culture has shifted in the last like seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, and this was going back to 2013. And I would be at like dinner parties with friends and they'd be like, yeah, so what do you do? And I'm like, ah, well, I work with trauma. I don't know if you know what that is. And like, I just remember feeling so, I was almost like a little baby um, deer taking its first steps, like so wobbly. Um, even though I was already so good at what I did, it's all the marketing pieces, right? I had no idea how to, communicate what I did so it took me a while to figure that out once I figured that out and I owned my niche then I started attracting people and I had colleagues who already knew the work that I did so I was getting those referrals coming in um, and eventually I hit that point where I was like this is probably even more than enough like I'm actually full now um, and that point was sooner than I thought it was like it was less clients than yeah. I thought it would be that was a lesson I had to learn of like oh full for me is actually not 20 or 25 it's actually 16. Yeah 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 and I think especially um, when you're doing intensive work yes. and that could look like trauma work, that could look like MDR, that could look like couples work. It could look oh my gosh. like working with kids where you also yes. have to navigate with the families or yes. whatever. Yes. Like, I think we, especially going from an agency where maybe we're working, we have 32 or 35 clients a week or whatever silly thing that they oh put on us. Yeah. Then we say, oh, well, if I'm only doing 20, I mean, like, that's like part time. Yes. And then yeah. you get into it and you're like, actually, there's a lot more that goes into running this business and just doing all like I'm doing all my own phone calls, all my emails, all my reschedules. There's no one to do any filing. I'm vacuuming the floor. <laughs> like, <all laughs> like you may seem yeah. like you know, there's no like, like there's no wiggle room anymore. Yes. And you know, you're doing your own bootkeeping, like it's everything. All of it, all of it. And I think too, like once you, once you niche into your zone of genius, like once you find your niche, at least for me, it was a really intense niche. Cause I'm like, I'm like a, like, let's get to the roots of it. Oh, there's pain there. Let's walk into the pain together. And yes. like, I can't do that 25 hours a week. Yeah. Right. So it's going to depend on your niche. Like I'm sure that certain modalities and, and certain personalities too would allow you to work more. And it's a different number for everybody. But for me, it was just realizing like, right, the work that I do is emotionally demanding. And if I don't recognize that, I'm just going to burn out of this profession altogether. Yeah. And I think that place, and I, I say this a thousand times, but I, I just have to keep saying it, 
every person who comes into you, as much as it's within your control, the first client of the day to the last client of the day, the first client of the week to the last client of the week, they should get like the same amount of energetic you. And if you're doing this dynamic where somebody's getting a shitty version of you because you already saw seven clients that day, that's not fair. Even if you think like, well, I'm fitting them in, I'm doing them a kindness. Mm -hmm. It's a crisis. Sometimes in a crisis, I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'll be the shitty version of me in a crisis. Yes. But that shouldn't be the regular scenario. No. You know, no. it shouldn't be the like day in and day out. We need to be really honest about, um, I like to think of it as sun exposure, right? Mm. There's a certain amount of sun that's great. Like we need it for vitamin D production, mm. yeah, for, yeah. like joy and happiness. And then at a certain point, it literally causes cancer. Like we need to find <laughs> yes. this round of like not giving ourselves cancer from doing this like really important work. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, something that I, I think about and talk about with, with my students as well is um, also when you let yourself be fresh, you can charge more because you're giving better service and folks are not going to need to see you as long, right? Like when they're getting those best sessions with you, where you're just like, your brain is like, bing, 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 and like grabbing things they said five sessions ago and like noticing this tiny affect and digging to it. And suddenly something that's been blocked for like three sessions is totally shifted. Like that shit's magic, right? Like that is yeah. so valuable. And, and letting yourself have a schedule that actually allows you to be at your best is just wonderful for everybody. Everybody benefits in that room. Yeah. Awesome. So at some point, as you realized it was 16 yes. um, instead of 20, there was yes. some numbers involved. So let's talk about like, because obviously at some point you move from this place of private practice to kind of digging into this money side of things. Let's talk about that transition and how that started to um, uh, reveal itself yes. um, in the private practice journey, this money piece of things and this other thing coming up. Yeah, absolutely. When I started, I remember being very hungry for information about how to do money, how to money in private practice. Um, mm-hmm. And I had books, you know, and I would dig through books of like, how do you organize your, your receipts? How do you pay taxes? Like, how do you estimate Um, And there really was no information. Like I would get, literally, I would glean like two paragraphs from this entire book that would give you a suggestion on how much you should pay for rent compared to your, you know, revenue of your practice. And I'm like, okay, that's something. It's like crumbs. I was gathering crumbs. And so I noticed like on one hand, I was very hungry about this thing, but also when I couldn't find it, I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll make a thing because I, you know, had been keeping spreadsheets of my own expenses since I went to university. My mom showed me how to do like a expense tracking and I did it diligently all through university. That was my version of budgeting is I just tracked everything that I spent. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. I've spent a lot on food this month. Like I'm good for now. So mm-hmm. I had that tendency already. And then I noticed this gap and then it was actually really identifying like my, my work wife from the agency I worked at, you know, the one that I like had lunch with all the time and we would like get away for walks and do all our trainings together. Um, she wanted to get out of agency work, but she was like, I don't, I just can't do the numbers. Like, I don't want to think about taxes. I just want to be an employee. I just want to get paid. And from my perspective, it's like, if you learned these skills, you can unlock this whole world of like being your own boss, not feeling exploited, getting to serve the folks that you love, like all the things that I loved about private practice. I could see that for her and so many of my other colleagues, the numbers part either blocked them from even starting practice or was this like endless stress that detracted from their enjoyment of practice because they're constantly like, 
I don't have enough for taxes, shit, I'll do something about it later. Or, you know, feeling just very like foggy and unclear and stressed. And so there was this point where I realized like, oh, this thing that's like interesting to me and easy and fun, everybody else hates. (laughs) So maybe I can do something that will help them. And also to balance like the heaviness of the work that I was doing. Like I remember going to a training um, I, I, the, the move that I made, the like big move was I found there was someone I was following online, um, who's in our space, who does like fee setting stuff. And I, I had this huge business crush on her. I was like, she's the coolest ever. And I, <laughs> she's the only person I'd seen doing anything beyond private practice at that point. And so I reached out to her to be like, basically take my money. Like, I don't even know what you do. I don't even know what you offer, but like, take my money. I need to, I need to work with you. And she was like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't do individual, but I am doing this retreat on like building your next level thing. And like, given your love of like money, and therapists like you're a perfect fit so i just went i flew to san francisco which is across the continent i was like i don't know what i'm doing i don't know how much this costs i barely know where san francisco is like it's like so out of my radar but um that was my like like the, the money person like i don't even know yeah i'm like whatever i'm gonna make it work right like and this is when we really want something this is what we do is like we figure it out we make it work and i remember it was at that retreat that they they did an activity being like if you think one day you won't be a therapist, like step away from the wall. Like it was one of these like group exercises where everybody's touching the wall and I stepped Mm -hmm. away from the wall. And it was the first time that I was like, oh yeah, I think I might actually want to leave therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, you know, that's like five years ago now, but it was like this real moment, like I'm getting chills thinking about it. Like it was this real moment of owning, like maybe I actually don't want to stay in this like really hard, heavy work for the rest of my life. Like maybe I don't want to live here. Yeah. I mm-hmm. that, and it's such an interesting thing how like obviously as someone who doesn't do therapy any longer and who is also retired from therapy yeah. my process came up so differently but that like weird magic of like how things kind of come to be and as you like that truth uncovers itself and I could imagine I I, I think that we're aligned even from our previous conversations of mm-hmm. I didn't realize when, when I, I felt like I was kind of directed from the universe to step away from therapy and to kind of dive into the business school stuff. And then when I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just doing this different kind of therapy Mm. on this scale. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all of this like amazing trauma work, but Mm -hmm. just from this other um, perspective where like, like I'm just watching people unravel like childhood trauma through the things in their business and you're like wow I didn't think that this could happen in this way and in such a way that's so much more supportive of my body and so much more supportive of like the holistic systemic issues that are rampant in our profession in particular like so many different things and so it's it's so fascinating to me how when we are kind of like embodied and we're checking in on each step and when we leave room for whatever to take anything off the table to put anything on the table when we give ourselves like that flexibility that really amazing things that we could have never we could have never dreamed up will make themselves known absolutely like I think I, I completely agree that I think that the work that, you know, each of us are doing in our own ways is just as transformative as the work I was doing before, but it's in this different way that it doesn't exhaust me, right? Like the work that I did, I think just given my nervous system and the the clientele that I chose, like 
it took so much bandwidth to do every session, especially if I'm like working with folks who have like parts and like DID and it's like, I'm balancing like so much in my mind and it just, it demanded so much of me. Um, and it was like so transformative and so powerful, but at great cost to myself. And now the work that I do transforms people's lives in kind of a, a different sphere, definitely trauma related, but it's like, it has the financial impact, which is not the work I was doing before, um, but I am not exhausted, which is a huge difference for my life and my ability to keep doing this kind yeah. of work. But do you think, or have you seen yet, yeah. that when somebody starts to take something that's like uncomfortable or unseen or something that maybe they even associate shame with like money and they start to like unpack it they start to set boundaries around it they start to voice that that do you see how then they start to like that generalizes in other areas where suddenly like this transformation of money we're just like it's just a financial change but the skills that they learn and practice Mm -hmm. in the area that was so icky and and funky then start to just make magic everywhere else absolutely oh like a hundred percent and I do think um a lot of it is because as you say like it is trauma right like what makes money hard is the same thing that makes romantic relationships hard or being like calm when you're parenting hard like it's trauma and so when folks work on that and you know a lot of the work that people doing money skills for therapists, I'm sure they also then take to therapy, (laughs) right? Like you bring up things and you're like, oh, this memory of my dad, you know, like always losing his job has not only made me scared of losing my job, but makes me feel unsafe in life. Time for therapy, right? And so there, there's that piece, but also what I notice is there's this expansion that happens when you build a better relationship with money because money, I think in so many ways is fundamentally about possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. It's in those possibilities, what, what's going to connect with you is like the possibilities that matter to you is going to change depending on your stage of life and who you are. But what I do see happens a lot is folks who graduate from my class, um, from my course, and who really engage and, and get it and make the changes, a year later, they start building something else beyond therapy. It's like they let mm-hmm. themselves out of the box. Um, and that's yeah. not everybody. Some folks are like, no, this is exactly where I want to be. And I'm going to do my practice differently. But inevitably work around money leads to changing your schedule. It leads to changing your vacations that you take in the year. It leads to changing the folks that you work with. It leads to even changing people in your life, um, who you keep around you. Like there are these huge ripple effects that come from doing profound healing in, in that area of your life. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a juicy space. And I think there is so much in our, our culture as as therapists, right? Mm-hmm. As counselors in this broad space of, oh, we insurance takes care of that. Nonprofits mm-hmm. take care of that. Like, I don't see beyond the thing, like the amount of therapists that will say, well, I didn't know the reimbursement was going to be that low because I didn't understand what I was signing, what I was mm-hmm. agreeing to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, again, these, these spaces of like, oh no, like what would it look like for me to like really own the story I'm not signing something that I don't understand and that I'm going to really create something that works. Um, I was talking with someone yesterday in the UK and they were talking about this issue of like, you know, the cost of living crisis, you know, and in, in the United States as well, we have an incredible amount of inflation yes. in the UK. It's because the cost of goods have gone up because the war is so, so close mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. Here it's just, 
for the most part, there's a lot of corporate gouging, unfortunately, in the United States um, that, that they're they're uncovering, which is unfortunate. She's like, but what do you do about that? And I was like, well, if if what you need to eat goes up, then you have to increase your, you know, the pay for their services. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, and she was like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like, oh yeah. Like, it's not the first thing that we think about. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing that we think about is trying to, well, I'm going to tighten my belt in some way, but as therapists, most of us, have already tightened every belt people are living from paycheck to paycheck already going into debt every month and then something happens and we just go okay I'll just squeeze it hard you know tighter and to say like no like you need the amount of air you need like you deserve to breathe you deserve to have water you deserve to have food like it's okay for you to have what you need to take care of your system and your body mm-hmm. So what were some of the biggest shifts for you when you went from doing marketing and doing this one-to-one therapy Mm. practice and you went into creating a program? What were some of the biggest like learning lessons as you transitioned? Mm. Okay. So one of them, um, I remember because the way that I closed my practices I went on mat leave and because I'm in Canada um, I had a one-year mat leave I had opted into our employment insurance which you have to do if you're self-employed in Canada because I Mm -hmm. was like I'm gonna have a mat leave and I'm gonna take the whole year so that was my buffer and when I got back I was like I could restart my therapy practice I could take the the coward's road (laughs) is to just restart Mm -hmm. my therapy practice or the scary road the brave road is to try to do money skills for therapists full-time because at that point I had run the course twice and I knew that it worked but it was my Mm -hmm. side of my desk offer so I took the plunge and signed up for this expensive program, expensive at the time for me, um, which was 1500 US a month um, to Mm -hmm. learn how to run my course Evergreen. So my course would be running all the time. And also folks could be signing up for my course all the time. And it was this huge Mm. challenge to the way that I had thought up until that point. Um, And that was my full-time job was doing this course. I was like, I'm literally making no money. I'm not even running the course right now. (laughs) I'm just going to like build out this system and like bet on myself um, and make Mm. this happen. And I remember one big shift that had to happen is when I was thinking about how to offer my course and I was feeling like, well, I have to run at cohorts. I have to run at cohorts. They need me to like walk Mm -hmm. them through. And I realized like, if I'm running this full time, I'm going to be running cohorts back to back to back to back to back to back all year. And it's, it's, I'm going to burn out because I find like the, the beginning and end of a cohort, like I just finished a cohort yesterday of, of my money boss mastermind, my next level. It was so mm-hmm. emotional to wrap up. It was so heavy. And I thought like, I can't do that like eight or 10 times a year if this is going to be my full-time thing. And I remember having a bit of a crisis. It was on my birthday. I went to a cafe and I was like feeling so guilty about it and torn up and like, ah, but will the course work? And, and I had a writing and I realized like, I, I don't want to be a therapist. I can't. I can't be holding every single person's hand and walking them through individually anymore. Like I need to be a CEO. And that was a big, like, like blowing a part of my identity of letting go and be like, no, I can't hold every person's hand. I, I'm going to create a supportive space. I'm going to put all the right supports there. I know my course works. I'm going to have calls, but like folks need to show up on their own. I can't be creating that same container anymore. Um, that was a huge shift a huge shift of shifting away from like, I'm not a therapist running a course. Like I'm a course creator um, who's really good at this thing. um, But I need to stop being a therapist. Um, So that was, that was, that was a huge one. 
Um, I probably need to learn that lesson myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can chat afterwards. It was painful. Yeah. Like I remember messaging my friend, um, Tiffany McLean, who was in that program with me, we were, we ended up accidentally doing it at the same time. Um, she signed up like literally two days before me. And then I got in and she was like, Lindsay. And I was like, Tiffany. Um, so we were really like walking step side and side. And I remember messaging her and she was like, that's amazing, man. Like you fucking just like leveled up like mindset wise, like, but it would, it really did feel like this, like something new being birthed out of like pain. It was like very much like a Phoenix moment internally. You know, I'm just really sitting in a cafe, but inside I'm like, something's dying and something else is being born. So that one was huge. And then the second thing that's really had to change is I have to be seen. I have to show up. Uh, I don't like being seen. (laughs) I like sitting in quiet rooms and having private conversations that are depthful and thoughtful and quiet in my own little quiet space. And like, it's been a real big shift and challenge, which is getting easier, but is certainly not done of being seen and having my words and my voice out there. And social media is kind of part of that, but even just like having my podcast and realizing like, oh, all these people are like listening and they're not talking to me. We're not having an individual conversation. Like my words are out there in the world or my offers are out there in the world and and people are seeing me even if I'm not seeing them back. Um, That exposure has been a difficult thing to lean into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then what has it been like? Because I get the sense um, that you have a spouse. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Income. Did you feel like in terms of making that leap, did it make it easier to have another income coming in? Mm. Or had you been planful where you're like, no, I, my income was still really needed. And so I put stuff away and I was going into savings. Like, yeah. what were some yeah. of the things that you did, if you don't mind? Of course. Um, me? Yeah. No, this, this is what I talk about. I, I, I don't want to talk <laughs> right? about any court. Um, so part of what made me able to take that leap was in 2018, before I went on mat leave, um, I got a really big consulting client. Um, it was actually through mm-hmm. Tiffany McLean, um, mm-hmm. a, a business friend of hers. She was like, you need to work with Lindsay. And I got this book from Tiffany, Million Dollar Consulting, that was like, don't undersell yourself. Think about the results you're going to get for this person. Charge them somewhere between 8 and 15%, given your level of service. And I did the math mm-hmm. on like, like what I could do for this online business owner. I knew nothing about online business, but I knew a lot about numbers and building yeah. a good relationship with them and understanding them. Um, and I did a package with her where she paid me, um, it was 55,000 US, mm-hmm. which at the time blew my own mind. Like I was like, I kept waiting for her to be like, you tricked me. This is terrible. She never did. She was really happy, but I, I saved that money, not all of it, but I had like a seed fund, which allowed me to make that step, right? Which like, in some ways I'm, I'm like noticing Miranda as I'm saying this, I'm like, I want to say people listening, you don't need that. You don't need that to take a, a leap, but I this is part of my nature. I did put that aside knowing that mm, I might need that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had not invested it or spent it. It was just sitting in my business bank account. I think it was about $20,000 that was still there mm-hmm. when I came back. And it was like, I have like five months of money to just like figure shit out <laughs> and build mm-hmm. this new thing. And then if I run out of money, I will decide what to do then. So I gave myself that seed money to be able to take a risk um, yeah. and just be building something with like literally no income coming in for yeah. there were months where my my revenue was zero dollars yeah well and even the like even with that as you're saying well I have this four thousand dollars a month but also then you're still investing in yourself of this fifteen hundred dollar a month program right yes. of like how do I actually like do this because yes. there's a lot of 
like learning lessons, what do you imagine it would have been like, I'll just throw this out there. If you had done the same thing that you did without investing in the course on how to do evergreen courses, like, what do you think? Well, like it, it's very interesting, you know, cause like that investment, I remember feeling like everybody in that community was like so stressed because it, it seemed like so much money for the people at that mm-hmm. level. And sometimes yeah. I remember thinking like, am I being ripped off? Are they giving me the minimum for what I'm getting? When I look back on that investment, it was worth every penny and more. Like mm-hmm. I firmly believe in not reinventing the wheel and not taking three years to figure out something that somebody else can teach you in three months. It just doesn't make sense. Financially, it doesn't make sense. If you think about like return on investment, you know, it's like I paid $18,000 for that course. I leveled up when they offered a next level, like a CEO uh, course on top of it. I jumped into that too, um, which turned it to $2,000 a month. And like, yeah, it hurt to pay $2,000 a month, but $2,000 a month for me now that's that's one person buying my course. It's nothing mm-hmm. compared to being able to build a funnel and learn how to market and like have people having the chance to join my course at any moment, given like, you know, the actions they've taken, mm-hmm. um, the potential there and, and the return on investment that has actually happened is, I, I can't even say how much more it is. It's probably 20, 30, 40 times greater than what I paid for that at this point. That's rad. Yeah. That's rad. It's and like, on, on yeah. average, when you look at like what's happening with your business, how many people join like on this evergreen, like a month or a day or join yeah. your course? What does that feel like? Well, that's changed quite a bit because of Facebook ads, which is not something I'll get into for your audience because it's very like, we've chatted about it a little bit before, but we had like a, a Facebook ad heyday where our ads were really working, where we had like anywhere between 15 and 30 people joining in a month. So it was like, mm-hmm. sometimes it was like a student a day. And it was just like, there was a time there it was like, whoa, I get these notifications on my phone that say, hey, yeah. Rockstar, you've made a sale. Sarah has joined Money Skills for Therapist. And yeah. there was time when like my phone was like constantly going off and my toddler learned to say the phrase like, we got a sale, we got a sale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which she said the other day and I was like, oh, we didn't get a sale today. But um, so that was kind of like that heyday. But then I the, the metrics changed. So I raised the price of the course, recognizing like this course, similar to the course that I take, changes people's lives. It changes their businesses in these massive ways. Yeah. So I raised the the fee on our course and Facebook ads stopped working. So my numbers have changed, mm-hmm. but here's a, here's a, a financial um, insight is even though last year I was making way more sales and having, you know, 15 to 30 folks a year join, mm-hmm. I made more money this year having maybe like 10 or 12 folks a month join because I'm spending less on ads. I'm spending less on coaching because I've kind of gotten to a place where I'm like, I'm actually good for now. I can like cruise for a bit um, mm-hmm. and I'm charging more. So the math has actually flipped that I'm actually getting paid and my team is getting paid way better now than they were in the days when we were making the most sales. And that's finances for you. That is finances for you. And I think it's it's an interesting space too that I find it so fascinating. Do you also maybe even notice a little difference in how committed people are to doing the program at a higher rate? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel like it's about the same as when it was $2,000 versus what, what is it now? I, I don't recall. It's not really yeah. Right. So before, before it was um, 1297 and then I upped okay. it in 2022, it went up to 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Miranda, the honest answer is I'm not sure. That was certainly okay. the intention. The intention was 
people pay more, they got more skin in the game, they work harder. Um, But an interesting thing about my course, interesting from the perspective of like, letting go of being a therapist, and it's like, you're not the boss of this, people are on their own journey is like, folks sometimes work through the course, and they don't come to calls. Like I we have calls every week, I do calls, my coach who works for me, who's wonderful does calls. Sometimes folks come to literally no calls. It's like, I've never met them. And then they do their one-on-one call with me at the end of the course. And they're like, this course was amazing. Thank you so much. All these things have happened. And I'm like, I've literally never met you. And so that's been something that like my coach and I, who my coach is a therapist, she's a psychologist, have had to um, almost like uh, try to appreciate because our nature is to be like, but we want to help them. We want to help them. We want them to come to calls. We want to connect with them. Like, it's like, we want to be part of their journey. And it's like, we actually don't have to be. The course you, actually you works on its own. Videos you have in there. Videos, yes, yes. Like, you know, totally. I would do that with the introverts versus the extroverts that yeah. would take our our calls. The extroverts, like every every positive, every negative, right. every phone call, every it. client, they're like, oh my gosh. The introvert is just like, I took this this course three years ago, and I, I just need to say thank you. But like within three months, I had fifteen private pay clients triple my fee and I just want to say like it's just been great I'm not a group practice I've used your materials yes you know and just like and you've like literally never met them yes never like like I yes kind of maybe I'm like and I go and look like they've made three posts in three years if that totally like and this is the thing right it's like that has been a real identity shift for me which I've welcomed because I knew I know for me the cost of being a therapist and the cost of walking everybody's journey for me was high is is actually having to be okay with that having to be okay with the fact that somebody's watched my videos and my videos have done the work and I haven't had to Um, that has been a real shift um, to accept that like my teaching works so I actually don't have to be doing a lot of coaching on top of it yeah I love this. I love this. Okay. I feel like, I mean, we've already been talking for almost an hour. This is enough for anyone in like a podcast <laughs> to possibly listen to us jammer on, but I've enjoyed this conversation. So much. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, if you want to go and check out uh, money skills for therapists, y'all, you need to figure out your money stuff. Um, this is the most common thing, even with our business school and people are like, I don't need business school. I just need marketing help. We're like, no, you don't. Mm. <laughs> you can <laughs> into oblivion. You can have 50 clients a month coming into you as a, as a person and be making no income. I have seen it over and over and over again. And it breaks my heart and it's not good for the clients. It's not good for you. So if you need to dive down, um, she has an amazing podcast, go and check it out. Money, nets and bolts. If you go to Zinni me, um dot com and click on the podcast we'll also have links to she's a freebie for you all do you want to share what your freebie is so i have a freebie it's called uh, get off the income roller coaster um there's other freebies there too but this one if you find yourself like feeling like some months you can pay yourself like a ton from your practice and then other months you're like oh there's no money for me that really pulls us onto this like i call it the income roller coaster like these ups and downs Um, And the guide is on how to even that out and pay yourself regularly so your family can rely on the money that's coming in. You can plan ahead um, and just take that. We we don't need to have thrills in our private practices. We need consistency. (laughs) uh, You can check out that guide, uh, moneynutsandbolts.com. And the podcast is Money Skills for Therapists podcast. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, y'all. I hope you loved today's episode. 
If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.